In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, hello again, friends. Uh, lovely to uh, gather together this morning around uh, God's word. Uh, please have John chapter uh, 1 open in front of you. Uh, as Andrew has mentioned, we're starting a new series uh, in this wonderful uh, part of the New Testament together. Um, so uh, we're going to have a look at this passage that was just read out for us. Let me lead us in prayer, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the great joy it is to be your people and to come together uh, to encourage one another and to listen to your word. And uh, we pray, Father, that this morning as we sit under the teaching of uh, your word, that you would give us humble hearts and we ask that your word would not return to you empty, uh, but achieve uh, the purposes that you have for it uh, to build us up and to help us to be uh, deepened in our faith and in our trust of the Lord Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, well, friends, I've heard some bizarre things in my time, but uh, I reckon one of the most bizarre things I've heard of recently is of a woman who has decided to marry a chandelier. Uh, a British woman by the name of Amanda Liberty has decided to marry a 91-year-old chandelier whom she calls Lumiere. Uh, what's even more bizarre is that this kind of thing seems to be trending. Sociologists are telling us that there is a bit of a trend towards people wanting to marry inanimate objects. Uh, it's a great tragedy, isn't it? For it's very hard to see how you can have a 
a meaningful and personal relationship with an inanimate object that doesn't talk. Uh, I mean, yes, uh, sometimes we wish, we might wish that our spouse talks a little bit less, uh, or we might sometimes wish that our teenagers talk back to us a little bit less. But talking and the use of words is what good relationships are all about, aren't they? How wonderful it is when we can use words in ways that build relationships. In fact, it's very hard to know another person if they don't speak to us and uh, speak words to us that reveal something about who they are and what they are like. Now, I wanna suggest that it's the same with God. Uh, if the God of the universe is a personal God who can love and desire and have emotions, then you would expect this God to be one who speaks. But here's the problem. God is invisible. Further, I'm guessing not many of us have had the experience of God speaking to us uh, in audible words. It's not um, our common everyday experience, is it? And so how is it that you and I can know God? Is it even possible to know God? Well, this morning, we're beginning a new series, uh, as we've said, uh, in the Gospel of John. Uh, you may know that John is the, is the fourth gospel uh, in the New Testament, uh, the fourth uh, biography, if you like, of Jesus's life and death and resurrection. Uh, it was written by the Apostle John, who was one of Jesus's inner circle. And it's a gospel that is very different to uh, the three other gospels that come before it. Uh, in many ways, it's different in style. It's different in content. It's different in its themes, as uh, we will see uh, throughout this series. But this morning, I want you to see that right at the beginning of this gospel, John speaks about the word of God. For God is a God who speaks, you see. He is a personal God. What is even more astonishing is that this passage tells us that this word, God's word, took on human flesh and entered into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. And so uh, let's dive in and uh, see what John has to teach us about this word that we read about in this opening. Uh, now, if you have a look at verse one, you can see there that John takes us uh, all the way back to the beginning of creation. Uh, when you hear the words, in the beginning, uh, what do you think about? Well, uh, you think about the opening of Genesis, don't you? It's exactly the same words, which takes us all the way back to the creation account. But here, notice that John takes us even uh, way back before then uh, to eternity past. And he says that in eternity past, the word not only existed, but that, notice, he was with God and that he was God. It's an astonishing thing to say, don't you think? Even before the creation of all things, God, uh, the word rather, was with God. Uh, the word with there uh, literally means to be 
to face towards someone. It, it's talking about an intimate relationship that the word had with God even before the creation of the world. But it's not just that the word was with God. We're told that the word was God. It's a bit mind-bending, I know. But what the scriptures tell, tell us is that although the word and God are separate and distinct persons, as we've seen, they are nevertheless one God. Christians do not worship three gods. It's not as though we worship you know, one God in the Father and another in the Son and another in the Holy Spirit, who we meet in, later in John's Gospel. No, we worship the one God who exists in three persons. It's the idea of the Trinity, uh, which is so fundamental to the Christian faith. Of course, uh, there are some people who claim to be Christians and deny the Trinity, and especially the idea that the word or Jesus uh, is uh, by nature God. The most obvious example are the Jehovah's Witnesses who translate the phrase, the word was God, with the words, the word was a God. Now, I'm not going to get into the technicalities of why that's not an accurate translation of the Bible. Uh, but suffice to say that to deny that Jesus is God means to deny that he is the one who can forgive sins. And to deny that he is the one who can forgive sins is to deny the Christian gospel altogether. Uh, but it's not just the Jehovah's Witnesses who have difficulty with the Trinity. Uh, Christians can often be confused when it comes to the Trinity. Um, have you ever uh, heard that illustration where people say, you know, the Trinity is a bit like uh, water um, because, you know, water can exist as a liquid and as a uh, steam and as ice? So put up your hand if you've heard that illustration. It used to be quite a common one uh, going around. Uh, what is wrong with that illustration? Uh, have, a, have a chat with the person sitting next to you and see whether you can figure out what is wrong with that illustration, that the Trinity is like water in that uh, it can exist as uh, liquid ice and steam. I'll give you a few moments to, to speak about it. All right, uh, lovely to hear so much chatter, um, but is anyone brave enough to tell us why uh, that illustration may not be the most helpful one? Jackie, well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so with, with water, uh, yes, it can exist in three different forms, but it can't exist in three different forms at the same time, can it? Uh, it, it actually, uh, what that uh, illustration teaches is an ancient heresy called modalism. Uh, that says, you know, sometimes God exists as the father, uh, and then he can kind of change modes. He, he kind of changes into the son and he changes into the spirit. But that's not what we are taught in the scriptures. Uh, God is one God, but he exists at the same time as three distinct per pe uh, persons. Further, comparing God to a block of ice can make God seem a little bit impersonal, don't you think? But what we see here is a deeply personal God who loves and is in 
relationship within his, uh, his own Godhead. But friends, the point that John wants to make here is not only that the word existed before the creation of all things, but the word was the one who created all things and gives life to all things. In verse three, have a look with me at verse three, we are told all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And so uh, it makes sense that as the one who created all things, the word is the one who is the source of life. Now that's why in verse four, uh, John describes the word as a light. And in verse five, as the light that shines in the darkness. It's because it's impossible to have life without light. In fact, I'm told that if we didn't have the light of the sun, uh, the world would be so cold that we would all simply freeze to death. However, when John speaks about the word as the light coming into the world, I think he's talking about uh, more than just, you know, the word giving us physical life. Rather, he's speaking about the word giving eternal life, which is what the rest of the gospel is about. Uh, you might remember uh, the famous John 3.16, which uh, uh, Andrew quoted for us. Um, it comes a few chapters later, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You see, knowing God is a very serious business indeed. John would say that your eternity and my eternity hangs on knowing this word. You know, we live a few years on earth, and most of us think that our life here on earth is so important. But what about eternity? Where will you spend the rest of eternity? Do you have eternal life? Now, in the next few verses, uh, John introduces us to another John. I know it's a little bit confusing, but he introduces us to another John who later in the chapter uh, is identified as John the Baptist. But you may have noticed that the focus of John the Baptist uh, in these opening verses is not on his uh, baptizing of people, rather it's on his role as a witness to the light. Uh, you can see it there in the passage, can't you? In verse six, John the Baptist is the one who is sent by God. In verse seven, his mission is to, notice, bear witness about the light. In verse 8 again, uh, he comes to bear witness about the light. Why? Well, it's because in verse 9, the true light, the ultimate light, the most important light was coming into the world in order to give eternal life. Uh, the idea of having a witness is uh, a legal idea, isn't it? Uh, you have witnesses when you want to establish the truth of something. Has anyone um, have had to give a witness statement in, in court? Yep, a few of us. Um, I uh, 
was called into the police station to give a, a witness station, uh, statement many years ago. Uh, why? Well, it's because uh, someone stole the number plate off my car and uh, they put my number plate on uh, another stolen car and proceeded to um, hold up at gunpoint uh, a fast food joint. Um, and then they took that car and uh, put it on fire <laughs> by the side of the road. And so when the police discovered the car, they, they uh, saw my number plate and, and came to me. Um, and so um, I, I, I said, no, it's not me. But uh, I, I had to give a witness statement. In fact, uh, there were many witnesses who were called to give statements so they could establish the truth of what actually happened that night. Uh, you'll be pleased to, to uh, know that in the end, they did uh, catch the guy who did it and put him in jail. But here, God sends John the Baptist as a witness. He sends him because he wants him to testify to the truth that Jesus is the light who can give eternal life, you see. And so that people will believe his witness statement and come to Jesus for that life. Uh, that's why at the end of verse 7, uh, we're told that um, the purpose of John the Baptist witnessing to the light is so that all might believe through him. Do you see it? In fact, in John's gospel, John the Baptist is one of many witnesses uh, that are called to give witness statements. Uh, God the Father is a witness. God the Son is a witness. God the Holy Spirit is a witness. The scriptures witness to the truth about Jesus. Uh, Jesus's miracles witness to the truth of who Jesus is. People who encounter Jesus are witnesses. Jesus's own disciples are witnesses. John himself, who writes this gospel, is a witness. Why are they witnesses? Well, it's because God wants you and me to see through the reading of this gospel, the truth that Jesus really is the light. And that by coming to him, you can have eternal life in his name. That's why, um, if you turn with me to the very end of the book, uh, this is a very important verse. So come uh, all the way to uh, chapter 20, verse 30. Um, John chapter 20, uh, verse 30. And uh, you can see uh, John's big purpose in writing this book, can't you? Uh, chapter 20, verse 30, uh, it says... Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have eternal life in his name. You see, this gospel is not written so that we can have a little bit more information about Jesus. No, it's written so that as you and I listen to the many witnesses in this book, we will be so convinced of the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us as the light that we would believe him, trust him, rely on him in life-changing ways and receive eternal life. As we work through this gospel in the next few weeks, Will you and I listen and respond in that way? Now, friends, in the next few verses, John goes on to say that 
The word, who is also the light, as we have seen, is a rejected word, a rejected word. Uh, I think uh, these few verses are very poignant uh, in the, uh, at the start of the gospel because it speaks of the word coming into the very world that he has created in love but being rejected by the very ones that he has created. You see it there in verse 10, can't you? It says, he was in the world and the world was made through him and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Uh, when John uses the word world here, uh, he's talking about the pagan world. Uh, the word world is not a positive word uh, in John's gospel. Uh, you know, we say things like, uh, I'd like to travel the world, or it's a beautiful world. Or those of you who are newly married probably look at each other, you know, uh, at home and say, you are my world uh, to each other. It's used in a very positive sense. But in John's gospel, the world is a world that is in rebellion against God. It's a world that does not know God and does not want to know God. Because they prefer darkness to the light. It's what the Bible calls sin. And it's what you and I are all guilty of. But notice that the tragedy here runs even deeper. For it's not just the pagan world that rejects Jesus, notice. It's also the Jews who are described there as Jesus' own people. I mean, they are the ones who ought to have known that God was going to send them a light who would give them eternal life. God had sent, if you remember, prophet after prophet after prophet in the Old Testament to tell his people to ex expect precisely this light that was coming into the world. But not only did the people of Israel put to death their prophets, but they did not receive the light when he came and put him to death as well on a cross. Uh, but here's a wonderful thing, friends. Uh, if you have a look at verse 12, you'll see there that there, there are some who did not follow this trend but responded rightly to Jesus. There were some who did receive God's light. There were some who did believe in his name. In other words, they trusted him and loved him and followed him in life-changing ways. And it is to these people that Jesus gives the right, Jesus gives the right to be children of God, to be born again, to be part of God's family. Uh, a few years ago, I was invited to uh, the Australian Club in Sydney. Has anyone heard of the Australian Club? Oh, well, a few people. Uh, most people don't know about the Australian Club because it's such an exclusive club. Um, prime ministers and ex-prime ministers uh, are part of this club. And yet here I was, little old me, um, you know, uh, walking the halls of the Australian Club where previous prime ministers had trod. How did I get into this club? Well, it's only because somebody else gave me that right. 
uh, one of my friends married a, a very influential person and together uh, they didn't forget about me, but they invited me along uh, to, to come to the wedding reception that was in this club, you see. That's what John is saying here, isn't it? You can only become a child of God. You can only become part of God's family if Jesus gives you the right to be part of the family. But the ones he gives that right to are the ones who receive him, who believe him, who trust his word in life-changing ways. Have you responded to Jesus in this way in your life? Has he changed your life <laughs> in profound ways because you trust him? What that also means is that you do not become a child of God through human means. Uh, that's why if you have a look at verse 13, John says that becoming a child of God is not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Uh, I know it's not immediately obvious in the English translation, but all those things are referring to the act of sex. Um, the ancients thought that when you, when you engaged in sex, your blood mingled. And uh, when it talks about the will of the flesh and uh, the will of the husband, it, it's talking about, you know, taking initiative in the sexual act. In other words, uh, this is talking about uh, human decision in having a sexual relationship. And what John is saying is that you do not become a child of God simply through that act, through by being born naturally, or by human decision. Uh, I have a friend who is the grandchild of a former Archbishop of Sydney. He is not a child of God simply because he is a grandchild of the former Archbishop of Sydney. You might have been born to Christian parents. You are not a child of God simply because you have been born to Christian parents. You might be dating a non-Christian person. He or she will not become a child of God simply because you have decided that that's the way it's going to play out in the end. No, you become a child of God when Jesus gives you the right to be part of God's family and the ones he gives that right to are the ones who receive him and who believe him and trust his words with your whole life. Have you responded to Jesus in this way? If you have, do you pray for others to respond to Jesus in this way? Parents who are anxious about the eternal future of your children, do you pray for your children to respond to Jesus in this way so that Jesus will give them the right to become a child of God? Now, friends, uh, in the final part of these extraordinary verses, we are once again reminded that the word is a witnessed word. Uh, in one sense, the most famous phrase in this final part of um, the opening of John 
um, are the ones that you see there at the beginning of verse 14. Um, you can see there that it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, it's extraordinary, isn't it? Now, what John is saying is that uh, the eternal pre-existent God that uh, existed, was with God, was God, even before the creation of the world, who is fully God in every way, came into this world to be fully man. Uh, the word flesh here does not have the negative meaning that it uh, often has in Paul's writings, for example. Rather, it's talking about the word taking on weak human flesh. Uh, in the Gospels, we see Jesus getting tired. We see Jesus getting hungry. We see Jesus getting thirsty. We see Jesus facing temptation. We see Jesus taking on weak and frail human flesh to identify with us and to dwell with us. Uh, you might know that when John says that the word dwelt among us, uh, the word dwelt there literally means he pitched the tent. Uh, funny thing to say, why would John suddenly mention a tent here? But if you cast your mind back to the Old Testament, uh, you might remember that uh, tents featured heavily in the Old Testament. For in the Old Testament, the people of Israel enjoyed relationship with God by meeting him in a tent called the tabernacle, which later became the temple. The remarkable thing that John is saying here then is that Jesus is now that tent where people can meet with God and enjoy a right relationship with him. But although these are famous words, I think that the main idea in these final verses is that the word who became flesh was witnessed by many others who can tell us about it. Uh, that's why in verse 14, John says that he, along with uh, the other apostles, have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, when people even glimpse the glory of God, they think they are going to die. In the book of Exodus, Moses asks God to show him his glory, but God says, no one can see my face and live. No one can see the glory of the holy God. No sinful man can see the glory of the holy God and live. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah sees a vision of God and he thinks he's going to die. But here, extraordinarily, God says, or John says rather, as well as God, that these apostles, well, they saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus and they lived to tell the tale. Further, in verse 15, you can see again uh, the, witness of God, uh, the witness of John. Uh, he's the one who cries out that uh, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. In other words, even though Jesus comes after John the Baptist in time, Jesus is before John the Baptist in, in rank. He is number one. He is the greatest. Why? Well, in verse 16, it's because he's the one who showers grace upon grace to his people. 
Now, the phrase uh, grace upon grace sounds like, you know, grace in abundance, doesn't it? Uh, you know, if you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, uh, what do you do? Well, you just put food upon food upon food until you're, you know, you have a tower. Um, it, it's a picture of abundance. But if you have a look closely, you'll see that John's point is a little bit different. Uh, for do you notice a little footnote at the end of verse 16? Uh, what does the little footnote say? Can somebody call it out? Thank you, uh, Matt. Um, grace in place of grace. I, I think that's a, a, a slightly better translation of uh, what is going on here. But what does it mean that in Jesus, we have received grace in place of grace? Uh, the answer, of course, comes in verse 17, which begins with the word for. It's trying to explain the previous verse. Uh, verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In other words, the law that was uh, given in the Old Testament was itself an expression of God's grace. Uh, you know, the law often uh, receives a bad name among Christians because uh, the New Testament speaks harshly against those who misuse the law. But the law of God was actually an expression of God's graciousness and his kindness. The law of God revealed something of God's gracious and wonderful character towards his people. That's why the psalmist can delight in the law of God. And yet what John is saying here is that with the coming of the word in the flesh, the grace and truth revealed in the law of God has been replaced by an even greater grace and truth that is available in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, grace in the place of grace. Well, friends, uh, is it possible to know God? I mean, it's not that we can see God or hear God audibly. And so how is it that we can know God? Well, the astonishingly good news that this opening part of John's gospel tells us is that we can know God because the word who was with God and was God has now come into the world in the flesh. In other words, it is Jesus who reveals God to us, reveals the Father to us. If you know this Jesus, you know God. You don't have to try and guess what God is like. You don't have to make up your own gods to worship. You can know the true and living God by coming to know Jesus. Or if I can put that in the negative... If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God. Of course, we can't know Jesus in exactly the same way as John and the other apostles, for they are the ones who saw Jesus. 
touched Jesus, walked with Jesus. But God has not left Jesus without witnesses. And so as we read the witness of the apostles, which uh, for us is, is the Bible, and as he shines the light of the gospel into our hearts by his spirit, well, it is through that means that we can come to know Jesus personally and come to know God and to be a child of God. If you are someone who knows God because you have come to know Jesus personally, if you are someone who has received him and believe in his name, then the encouragement of these verses is to keep on growing in your knowledge of God by growing deeper in your knowledge of the witness accounts that we have. But if you are here this morning and you do not know God, then what an amazing opportunity to come to know God by reading the Bible, by finding about Jesus yourself. And there are many people at church who would love to read the Bible with you. For our hope and prayer as a church is that as many people as possible will come to know God as we have. And so will you read the Bible with us? Will you come to know Jesus with us? the one who makes God known to us and gives us the right to be children of God. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who speaks. Thank you that in your kindness, you have revealed yourself to us in your word so that we can know you. I thank you that you have not left us in the darkness but by shining the light of your word into this world and into our hearts, uh, we can know you and know the eternal life that is freely available in you. Now, Father, we pray that today, and as we continue looking at the many witnesses that testify to the truth of Jesus being the light, you would help us to believe in his name in life-changing ways, and that we might be called your children and be granted life for all eternity. We pray especially for those of us who may not know you this morning. We pray that they would seek you and that they would find you and that they would know you as they come to know Jesus. And we pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.